Welcome, campers. Settle in tight, for tonight you're in for a fright. Welcome, campers, to Friday Night Fright. We are your hosts. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now um, Ryan's going to go back to his human voice, and we're going to tell some scary stories. All right, I think I'm ready for this. You ready to get a little spooky tonight? (laughs) You sound like a 70s radio DJ. (laughs) Well, as I should. Oh, man. All I'm missing is my bushy mustache. <laughs> oh, yeah, apparently he's French. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> there, uh, isn't oui, a oui. On, there isn't a Frenchman on Earth whose voice is that deep. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, uh, oui, oui. Uh. <laughs> Jim Appel Ryan. So what, uh, what story do you have for us? this week tonight we have the witchwood estate a little uh Excellent. little spooky spooky thing about a teenager that opens up a halloween haunt in an actual haunted house i always wonder like if that's a thing right because we had um we've had stories like this i've seen stories like this before this idea this setup this premise but like i know a lot of haunted houses, especially in like the nineties, were in houses. Like houses that regular houses that people lived in. Now yeah. it's like warehouse spaces and shit like that. But Yeah, there was uh there was this guy that I was I was actually watching an interview with him pretty recently on a haunt. They're they're on their like I don't know, twentieth year or something. Okay. Uh they started out in this old abandoned farmhouse. That they ended up buying for like literally next to nothing, and they would hang out there as kids, and decided mm-hmm. like, oh, this would be a cool spot for like a haunted house. And they're literally teenagers when they f- when they first do their first several, as they're like in high school, and get yeah. more and more people involved. And apparently, like it was like very scary because like they did a lot of things that weren't popular at the time, you know, yeah, like haunts, especially like DIY haunts and stuff were not popular, like they weren't a thing. And so, like, yeah, and they talked about, like, they eventually ended up buying the land, and, like, it's it's went from just this house that they did, like, the top floor of the house to doing, like, a whole house haunt, plus, like, they do, like, a haunt throughout the land and through the forest yeah. and, like, all this other cool stuff just to see, like, how it's evolved and everything is awesome. Are you a haunted house guy? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I love going to haunts. It, it's honestly, like, one of my favorite things to do through... Uh, through like September and October. I mean, yeah, obviously it's one of the best ways to celebrate, you know, the season, right? That I always find them interesting, but I haven't actually been to a haunted house since I was in like the seventh grade. You need to do yourself a favor. <laughs> There's actually uh, in Indiana, we have some fantastic ones. Um, uh, one of my one of my all time favorites and and a go to that I will happily like rep and you know shoot yeah. uh, their name out is Fear Fair in seymour indiana interesting Um, incredible like they're they're awesome people their haunts are absolutely brilliant extremely well thought out and thorough um yeah really really well put together and then uh there's of course like nightmare on edgewood in indianapolis and hannah haunted acres is really good too um all probably three of the best ones in the state nice we'll we'll drop some links to those websites in the description too. yeah for so, sure and of course if you want to check those out 
we have our, our basic ones like Indie Screen Park. I mean, they always do a good job. Like, I went last sure. year, and, you know, I mean, I hadn't been in a few years just because. But, uh, yeah, they, they did really decent, you know, so. Right it's on. a good one that's close to home, at least. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I, I remember I went to, like, a haunted, I think it was, like, a haunted maze. Like, a haunted corn maze or something. Um, When I was in, like, the seventh grade. Oh, yeah. I think that's the only one I've ever been to. I went, uh, it was either last year or the year before, I went to this uh, in, in Dunkirk, Indiana. A uh, little tiny, tiny town. I'm um, out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, literally, like, out in the the middle of the country. They had yeah. a, uh, a forest haunt. And it's very, very, very well put together. I was actually very surprised because being from, like, in such a small town, you wouldn't really expect a whole lot, so I didn't go in expecting much, but yeah, I came out and I was like, wow, that was actually really good. Like, it's a whole walk through the forest and everything. They have, like, so many little random buildings and little, like, obstacles and crazy stuff, and, like, the jump scares nice. are really on point. So, yeah, it was it was actually really awesome. I, I plan to go right back, on. for sure. I know there's, like, shockingly, a church group in Eaton, Indiana, that does this like massive haunted maze they oh, did yeah? it last year for the first time that would be cool and, yeah it's like it covers like four acres oh it's like wow. a huge maze um and they did it for the first time last year and they actually my sister is helping work on it this year but they do it those are always really cool but it's like um Apparently, according to her, it's you would never believe that it was put on by a church group. It's like gory and crazy and super scary. That's and awesome. Like, yeah, but they, I can get behind that. They do it to they all the money that they take in from it. They use the church uses for like yeah. needy families during See, the Thanksgiving. That's, that's and Christmas one of the really cool things about season. like especially these uh, larger hunts. I mean, home hunts are a whole separate thing, which we can we should talk about in a minute. Sure. Um, but. Like, all these, like, mainstream haunts and stuff, like, the things that they do, like, proceeds and stuff go to, like, some awesome charities and, like... Right, oh, like yeah. children's it's, hospitals it's awesome. and all like, kinds it's, of shit and like it's, that. it's cool because a lot of the actors don't get paid. They're just there because they like to scare yeah. people. Like, you know, I mean, what, <laughs> that in itself, I think, is satisfying, right? Um, and then, you know, yeah. being able to, like, give back and and also, like, have something for a community to be able to do and also, you know scare the pants off of some people is is really cool sure yeah like yeah i always like the idea of them i just never end up going to them <laughs> i really want it eventually in my backyard to start a home haunt because like my back oh, yeah? my backyard is massive i mean obviously it spans like a couple lots um but like i could li- yeah. i could literally do like calf and do a pretty pretty cool little little home hunt and i i love the idea of home hunts like they're so neat like people like the people that actually get invested in them are, I mean, they're awesome, awesome people, but like some crazy people because there's so much that goes into it. They just, it would, it would be so much yeah, fun. Yeah, I imagine it's quite an investment. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's an understatement. I think I've seen some of these <laughs> yeah. props and like, man, they're pricey. And I meant like an investment of time also. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Time too. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's just like any of these like mainstream haunts or these like bigger haunts, like they're working on it year round you know yeah that's like when they're in their off season they're still doing it they're like thinking planning building like everything yeah it's awesome yeah i know um that one that my sister's been helping with they start they start building in at the beginning of august they start putting it all together and spend like you know three months basically putting it all together one thing one thing i do love about fear fair uh that i talked about briefly is they also do other times of year. So, like, they, they try to stay open as much as they can. Like, m- obviously, the majority is throughout, like, the, uh, you know, Halloween season and everything. But they do, like, a Christmas sure. one where they do, like, a Krampus haunt. And then they do a, oh, uh, that's cool. like, a Bloody Valentine haunt for, like, Valentine's Day and stuff like that. So, like, they do a lot of, like, really cool events throughout the year. So, I mean, they're constantly nice. rebuilding and b- getting bigger and bigger. And, yeah, I mean, like, anytime you go through there, it's going to take you at least an hour to get through. And they have so many different levels and stuff. Like, I remember one year they had this, uh, like, you basically go down this elevator. 
And then you go into like this uh, area. It reminded me of Bioshock, uh, the game. Um, and it was really, mm-hmm. really neat, but like extremely so, so well put together. Like I can't, I can't like emphasize that enough of how awesome they do, but yeah, it's cool. I, I dig awesome. it a lot. So if you're into haunts and you're in, especially if you're in the Indiana area, check out yes. the links in the, in yeah, the check them all out. Tell them that, uh, um, tell them we yeah. sent you. Now, um, Seymour, Indiana is that's pretty southern Indiana, isn't it? That's like yeah, it's, way it's down about, south. It's right? about uh, from here. I think it's about two hours, two and a half hours. Uh, last time, last time I went, so maybe like less than an hour from like Louisville. Yeah, it's actually yeah, not not too so, far from from Kentucky. So yeah, so if you're in the Kentucky area, definitely check that out. I too. mean, yeah, it's well well worth a drive up for sure. Yeah. All right, so let's uh, let's get into this story. I'm I'm stoked stoked to get to get some spooked. yeah yeah. So as mentioned previously, this story is called the Witchwood Estate. Are right, you ready to do this? Yeah. All right, go for it. I didn't know it was haunted at the time. There were only myths about the place, legends. I heard one story about a teen couple going in there to make out but having their faces melded together and needing an ambulance and hospitals and surgeries to separate them. Of course, the truth of that one ended up being that both teens had braces, which became stuck together as they were kissing, and there were no ambulances, hospitals, or plastic surgery, just a dentist. So, I never had braces. (laughs) But I definitely got cut by a girl's yeah. braces when I was. <laughs> I, a I think I've been there at least once or twice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's that's a rite of passage, the, um, you know, for yeah. for a young couple. Yeah, it's it's part of the like that hyper aggressive teenage makeout, <laughs> right? Approach, Basically, where you just right? eat each other's where faces just, and don't care about what's happening in yeah. the, you know, in the meantime. Exactly, you're just smashing each other's faces with your face, and you know when you have like hardware involved, that shit can get dangerous. I mean, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I had like a cross-shaped cut on my upper lip for like two weeks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and especially on your lips, like cuts like that don't go away very quickly. You know, which is I know, which is annoying. Yeah, but there are other examples. Some that were less easy to disregard and didn't have the truth shining through in the end. There were stories of people going missing on the property. Sounds and strange lights coming from inside. A crow that was always hanging around on a tree near the property entrance, waiting to snap down at nosy kids. The thing is, there weren't any specific or consistent entities. There wasn't some tall creature roaming in the woods or a skinny trio of sister witches floating above the chimneys. Every sighting was unique and individual. Some might say it was unique to the individual, even. Some people like Wally McDonald, the town drunk. Wally was the former town sheriff, but was let go shortly after his alcoholism was revealed during a bad accident he caused. Sadly, it was only a few years before his retirement. Sometimes at night you could see him walking around town, a cigar in one hand and a bottle of loudmouth soup in the other. Wally still had that drive, deep inside of him, to protect and serve in some way. When we were asking around town about the estate, Wally came to tell us about his experience. In one of his long twilight walks down Main Street, he found himself on a different road, and ended up outside of the Witchwood property. As he finished the last of his booze, he saw a new bottle on the ground in front of him. It had a few ounces left in it. He picked it up, gave it the small test, and swigged. When he finished, he saw another bottle in front of him. He picked it up and drank it as well. Then there was another bottle, further ahead. Wally went to it, finished it, and saw another. It was at that point he realized he was on the Witchwood property, and just past the next bottle on the ground. He came to a hole dug in the ground, 
It was rectangular, about three and a half feet wide, eight feet long, and six feet deep. At the bottom of the hole were dozens of bottles of booze. Wally stumbled back, afraid of the grave waiting for him, and ran back to town. Wally told me he hasn't gone back, and warned us kids to pick a different house for Halloween. But that was Wally. Okay. So, through that whole scene, all I could think of was the James Woods bit in Family Guy. The, ooh, a piece of candy. Ooh, a piece of candy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they basically recreate the 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 scene in E.T., right? Where E.T. is, yeah. like, picking up the... Yeah, yeah. I was waiting for him to, like, come upon a big wooden crate with a stick underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would have been so much better. Missed opportunity. But that was Wally. And who knew what the hell he saw in an alcohol-induced fever dream? I never really knew what to believe about Witchwood. I'd been around the property a few times, but never inside. I'd never seen anything strange, but the air felt thicker, like it was closing in around you. It was my friend Alex that came up with the idea to use the Witchwood estate. Alex and I were horror heads and always talked about having our own haunted hotel. One that people would check into and we could scare them all night in different ways. All parlor tricks, of course was a pie-in-the-sky idea, and we knew that. Which is why we dialed it back and came up with the idea to turn the estate into a Halloween haunt. Alex and I had a group of friends, only one of which had been inside the house, who all wanted to join in and help. All our parents were nervous at first, but then saw how hard we were working on the designs for the old mansion. One of the parents was a real estate agent, and we managed to convince her to talk to City Hall. The property was owned by the city, but they could never find anyone to buy it. So after a few back and forths, the city agreed to let us use the property for the week leading up to Halloween. Halloween night, and two days for takedown and cleanup. They gave us more than enough time to prep the place with our expansive ideas. All our parents chipped in, too helping out wherever they could. One of my friends' parents owned a consignment shop downtown. We managed to get all kinds of costumes and wigs and props, but the big prize there was they lent us over two dozen mannequins. I had an idea to use them in the basement. Another friend's parent was the vice principal of our school. He helped us get access to all the lights and speakers that were used in the auditorium for assemblies and plays. We sprinkled them throughout the mansion, keying on specific darkly lit locations like the library, the kitchen, the upstairs hallway, and the basement. We created a playlist of scary ambience, with jump scares sprinkled through every few minutes. There were screams and cries and moans and angry shouts concealed behind walls and furniture. The lights we used sparingly to highlight paths to take and doorways to enter. We used mostly reds and yellows. We also had a car mechanic, a firefighter, and the owner of the hardware store helping out with the mansion. Everyone turned the place into something horrifying with the scare around every corner. Upon arrival on the property, you were led up the steps to the front door, which opened to a boot room. From there, you were led to a large open foyer and split staircases, matching one another in semi-helical uh, arcs leading to the second floor. From the vestibule, there were three routes through the ground floor that led to the conservatory. A living room with a fireplace, a sunroom, bathrooms, an office, a library empty of books, and a games room empty of games a large dining room with a grand fireplace, and a heavily fire-damaged kitchen. The back door and wall had been burned out, boarded up, and nailed down with scrap wood. So there was no back door. But there was a second way out, and it involved the staircase going down. 
We decided to fill the first two floors with scares and allow people to wander the mansion and find them organically. But if they wanted to get out of the mansion in the end, the only way was the staircase down and through the basement. The basement was the perfect final act. It was a massive open space populated by load-bearing pillars, while a furnace and several large machines for which I'm told were used for making bootleg liquor during Prohibition sat in the back corner. There were no windows and only one door, and that door was hidden. It opened to a long walking tunnel that led 300 feet away from the house and came up to a set of storm doors camouflaged in the cornfield. From there you were directed back across the property where we had a concession stand and a lounge set up in the barn. And that was it. We planned out the scares based on the blueprint of the mansion we had, so when the front doors were unlocked for us, we spread like a horror-themed plague through the mansion, infecting every hall, room, nook, and cranny with props or masked figures, or lights or speakers, or all of them. But over the course of the week, strange things happened. Aside from a general feeling of unease while in the mansion, Everyone involved agreed they felt a paranoia or agitation carry on with them, even after they left and went home. My friend Alex told me on the second night of the setup, someone else was with him in the mansion. He'd stayed late with his dad and was bringing down some cans of paint when he heard footsteps in the room next to him. Alex called out to his dad, but there was no response. Then came heavy wheezing, shuffling of feet, movement against the walls. The wheezing turned to a croaking laughter, belonging to an old man. It caused Alex to run out of the room and downstairs. He found his dad outside waiting for him. Alex's dad claimed he heard Alex calling for him from outside calling him away from the mansion. The two left, but Alex said it didn't stop there. When they got home, Alex continued to hear the wheezing. He didn't sleep at all and kept the lights on all night. Then there was Julian. He'd been helping set up the speakers in the tunnel under the property by himself. When he was done, he tried to leave, but the path back to the basement came to a fork where it split into two. One of the paths curved, so he chose the one that went straight forward, but it kept going and eventually led Julian to a disturbing room filled with chains mounted to walls and strange carvings on the ground. He swore he heard the chains rustling, which caused him to turn and run back down the path. Julian claimed he was lost for over an hour, walking up and down the same underground footpath that led nowhere, in both directions. Dude, that's horrifying. That would be terrifying. You're right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just that, that feeling of, like, a, there's there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to turn. Like, nowhere yeah, to run. Nothing makes exactly. sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's... I a couple I think last year I watched some horror movie with Kevin Bacon about a house. Oh yeah, yeah. That, I, that, you know what I'm talking I about? Actually dug that movie. It was yeah. actually solid. Yeah. Or him and or his him daughter. And his wife and yeah, the, yeah. right the yes. kid move into the place. That was a lot like that. And I think he's is he writing his book at that time or something? I think so. Yeah. I think he's keeping a journal and he is like losing track of you know, there's like another version of him writing in the journal and he, yeah, but there's a lot of that, that where right. they'll like turn yeah. a corner and they're not where they thought they were going to be. And then, yeah, that's, that's scary shit, dude. That, that really is. Yeah. I mean, like if there's something that like, you know, cause of course like haunts and stuff yeah. like that, those, those I love, I love it. Like, you know, like I, I find, yeah. I find humor and everything. If I get jump scared, I dig it because like yeah. that happens very, like very rarely these days. But like something like this, if I was thrown into that, that would be it would be traumatizing. Yeah, like honestly, it, yeah, it would it would really mess with you. I mean, there's nothing, there's no more helpless feeling than being lost. 
you know yeah yeah exactly yep and especially lost when there's some creepy shit going exactly on. yeah <laughs> that's yep. even worse yeah when julian finally made it out he was angry at us claiming we were playing tricks on him he was so upset he didn't come back then there was kathy one of the moms helping with prep She'd been downstairs helping set up the mannequins in the basement. This was easily the scariest part of the house, as it was the most difficult to keep lit. Light just didn't carry down there. The large, low-ceiling basement was filled with the mannequins and had speakers and lights set up strategically to highlight certain scares. On the mannequins, we removed some of the limbs and heads, We gave some of them wigs and masks and fastened some of their arms up in the air. In the middle of the mannequins, there was a speaker hidden to the left. It pumped out horrifying screams just as customers would pass by. The plan for Halloween night was to plant some of our own people amongst the mannequins. Our people would shift around as customers walked through giving the impression of movement amongst the figures. Since the main light source was a spotlight at the back of the room near the tunnel, all you could see were the silhouettes of the mannequins. Kathy was by herself working amongst them, applying wigs and masks to select figures. A scream shrieked out from behind her and startled Kathy. She thought it was someone messing around with the speakers, but they hadn't been turned on yet, or tested, and the sound it made wasn't one of ours. Then Kathy saw movement amongst the still figures, only they weren't still anymore. They were shifting and turning and twitching. The ones with arms raised them and pointed at Kathy. A horrible laughter emitted from them all. Then they began to fall forward into each other, toppling one another like dominoes towards Kathy. The power went out and the basement was thrown into full darkness. Kathy was found trembling underneath a pile of mannequins. Her arms and face were bloody and filled with plastic splinters from the large dolls. And more frighteningly, some of the hair from the wigs had gotten into her throat and nearly choked her. She never came back either. Okay, so that was a a well-written scene for sure, but I, I... Cannot I can no I'm no longer capable of being scared by mannequins. Yeah, like the idea of living mannequins. Yeah, I know what you mean for because sure. I I instantly go back to the first episode of the Doctor Who reboot, the, the first Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's so like hokey and and cheesy, right? Like yeah, and that's that's what I think of every time. Yeah, no, I, that I understand tri- that for sure. Used. Yep, yeah. Mm-hmm. More and more people dropped out throughout the week. Their reasonings being that either the estate really was haunted, or someone amongst us was playing mean-spirited pranks on the rest. Either way, 9 out of the 17 people who were on board at the beginning had now pulled the chute, and wanted nothing to do with it. It was all the more strange for the rest of us, because the estate didn't seem that bad. Sure, it was a large mansion with lots of shadows, but the rest of us hadn't seen anything remotely supernatural. The remaining group discussed the situation and questioned whether someone really was trying to prank us all, either inside the group or outside of it. Nothing really came of the discussion, and with all the people dropping out, we weren't sure we could even pull it off but we'd done so much work it felt wrong to walk away and abandon it. We figured since we put the time in and effort, we might as well see it through. Halloween night came and our crew did a walkthrough. Everything was great. 
The sounds, lights, and scares worked and timed out perfectly. And with us sprinkled throughout the house offering extra jump scares in our costumes, we felt proud of what we had accomplished. We were nervous that people wouldn't show up. Between the estate's history and the rumors that were going around town from Kathy, Julian, and the rest, I felt almost nauseous on the lead-up. But then we saw headlights coming down the long driveway, and more headlights behind them. Kids and parents in costumes started to arrive and explore the exterior of the property. Our first group, a family of four, went into the mansion. All the workers were in their places and ready for their signals. It went perfectly. The family was afraid at all the right times. The sound and lights were on cue. The mannequin gag scared them all. Only one of us, a girl named Michelle, was dressed up with the mannequins. But she did a great job moving through the figure stealthily. She was a drama student, so she went a little extra with snarls and hisses. The family made it through the tunnel and out the storm doors under the cornfield. They talked about how fun and scary it was. Everything was going great. Three more groups of people went through, back to back. The first two came out scared. The last group, a trio of teen girls, came out terrified. One of them had a large cut on her knee from falling in the tunnel. The girls claimed several of the mannequins had chased after them. We apologized, telling them that one of us was hiding amongst the figures, and she might have gotten a little too carried away. The girls shook their heads no. It wasn't just one. There were five or six mannequins climbing over each other, pulling and clawing their way into the tunnel behind the girls. I didn't know what to say. We offered the girls their money back, but they refused it and left. A new group came out of the storm doors, they were laughing and having fun, until they realized they were missing one of their friends. They claimed their friend had been right behind them in the tunnel, but must have dropped her purse or something in the basement, and gone back to find it amongst the mannequins. We waited five minutes, but there were no sign of her. I let the group go back in through the storm doors and tunnel to look for their friend. Several minutes passed. A new group exited. They had questions about the mirror room. The mirror room was on the second floor and was located in the largest bedroom with high, arched ceilings. From the consignment shop, we'd also gotten access to dozens of change room mirrors to fill the chamber with. When you entered, you were surrounded by your own reflection and reflections of your reflection. There was a path through the mirrors that led to one larger mirror and an old, baroque frame at the far end of the room. The larger mirror was tilted slightly upwards. This was done so when you approached it, the back corner of the ceiling was revealed behind you. We positioned what we called the Scarecrow Witch in the top corner, which had long arms and fingers reaching out above the room. The group claimed the Scarecrow Witch, which we'd made out of CPR doll, layers of old fabric and hay, a dark wig, a mask, and papier-mâché claws, had jumped down from the wall and attacked them. One of the group had four slice marks down the back of their shirt, resembling a claw swipe. They claimed the Scarecrow Witch chased them downstairs before disappearing into a wall. They wanted to know how he did that, and their money back to replace one of the girl's shirts. I gave them their money back, but played dumb about the figure. Another minute passed, and a new group had gone into the house. That meant that there were three groups plus the one that had gone back into the basement to look for their friend. From where I was in the cornfield, I could see several windows into the house, but I wasn't picking up any movement. I watched Alex bring up another group to the front doors. My stomach tightened. I wish I waved over to him to wait up but I didn't. I hoped everything was okay. I tried to explain away the past group's story about the attack. 
Maybe the anchors on the wall loosened, and our homemade scarecrow witch detached from the cables, keeping it stationary, causing it to fall down and swing into the group. The mansion was so dark and filled with even darker shadows after all, and there were sounds and lights constantly assaulting the senses. I kept hoping they were all just accidents and coincidences. Through the windows, I watched the newest group making their way up to the second floor. I checked the storm doors and looked into the tunnel, but didn't see anyone in it. Though it was dark, there were four groups that should be coming to the exit now. The group inside was going back downstairs. I watched them follow the directions to the basement. I checked the tunnel again, but it was too long and shadowed to see anything. I got out and saw Alex leading the next group in. I yelled his name and waved to hold the group back. Another minute passed. The last group should be through the basement now. I should see them and the other four groups. Then I heard a rumble. The storm door shook. Dust, dirt, and rocks exploded outwards as the tunnel caved in. Everyone heard it and came running to the cornfield. The dust settled and we saw the entire tunnel had collapsed. You could even see the grass of the backyard dip down as it led from the cornfield to the mansion. The basement entrance was filled in too. The full 300 foot length of the tunnel was now just fallen dirt and rock, with 20 feet of more dirt and rock above it pressing down. We scoured the house, but all five groups were missing. The fire department, ambulances, and police arrived shortly after. An emergency rescue team was brought in to hopefully find survivors. But instead, they found the bodies of the five groups. It appeared that right in the middle of the collapsed tunnel, the groups had stopped, as if blocked by something. Then the tunnel gave in and either crushed them or suffocated them all. In the end, all 18 people from the five groups died in the tunnel from the cave-in. No one, including the investigation team, knows what caused the collapse. And we'll never know why that first person stopped. All of us who put not just time, but so many resources into that night, left and never returned. No one wanted anything back. All the mirrors, mannequins, sound equipment, lights, costumes, decorations... It's all still set up there in the Witchwood Mansion, waiting for the next generation of ragtag horror freaks, just like mine, to pick the wrong place for their passion project. Dude, I was not expecting a tunnel collapse. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's not, not where I thought that was going to go. By the way, that excellent Kevin Bacon movie is called You Should Have Left. That's the one, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yep. definitely check that out like there aren't too many horror movies that you and i both like so yeah yeah i no, i enjoyed that one i enjoyed it it was, um, it was all right yeah i'll sure. put a link to that too at least to the imdb page you can find that in the show notes as well um but yeah that i really like that i like how um i know you can kind of it's like a slow burn like the group comes out and they're like, "Oh, someone scratched me." Yeah. And the next one is like, "Those mannequins are pretty active, huh?" <laughs> well, the- before yeah, before the scratch, you had the one that was like said that uh, the mannequins were like chasing after yeah. them, like the girl, the groups of or the group of the girls. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then like the one goes back for their friend, and they just never come back out. And they never come back, yeah. Which, to me, I'm surprised. I know this guy has to sit there at the end waiting for people, right? Yeah. But being that it's a tunnel, and that's the only en- the only exit, like, he could have ran back in there. Yeah. Tried to, like, run back to, like, the basement, you know, met the groups, like, the groups as they were coming out and stuff. And yeah. could have potentially saved some people in there. 
Yeah, because if it it was just a simple tunnel collapse. I mean, yeah, I doubt it was a simple tunnel collapse, but I think with the fact that they, he, like, some of the people in the group never experienced anything. Yeah. And I think if he would have went back in there, there probably wouldn't have been anything going on. Isn't that just a great, um, a great representation of how paranormal stuff happens? I mean, yeah. Like, you can have... Without a doubt. You can have 50 people in a row be, go in a room and feel nothing, see nothing. And then the just the right person at the right time goes in and they could have a life-changing experience. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. And see, and that's how I feel like this probably would have been, like... I yeah. feel like if he would have went back down there, probably nothing probably would have happened. Yeah, he maybe. probably could have saved a couple of groups at least. I still think like that probably would have still happened eventually, you know. But you know, maybe he could have saved the people because they were all stopped in like it sounded like they were all stopped in the middle of the tunnel. You think maybe they were like backed up because of whatever was people in front of them were experiencing? I mean, yeah, I still think like people would try to pass them, right? You know. If they weren't sure. also experiencing something. I like the idea that the whole tunnel was just became overrun by living mannequins. They were just like tearing at I mean, people uh, yeah, and like I, I would like to think that rubbing too. up against the walls and like filling it so completely that it ends up collapsing the tunnel. Yeah. Like I think of a like um think of the zombies in like World War Z. Yes, how they like they're they're like running and sprinting and they end up like end up like building walls of them all like toppling over each other. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I I like that. I like that idea. That's pretty cool. Well, that was fun. I like that. I I like a good I like a good haunt for sure, and not like a a haunt haunt, but you know I know what you mean. Yeah, a good haunted house. Good haunted house. Yeah. Good uh good haunt. You know, home haunt. I dig it. Yeah, me too. Me too. What do you what do you got for us today? I have a story called Of Three. Of three. Of three. No preview. Okay. We're just gonna jump right in. Hey, I'm I'm here Ready? for it. Yeah. Alright. Bring back that creepy music. <laughs> there it is. Of three. The banner hung above the bar in front of him. Good luck, Alice. The party was a bit much, an effigy of Alice's tendency to overcompensate. The appearance of her newfangled, somewhat legendary fiancé, who was dragging her away to some no-name town in the Midwest, was the cherry on top. Raymond hated cherries. Over the music... Over the clinking of the glasses, over the mind-numbing small talk of others, he listened to her laugh from her table behind him. Her voice was distinct and familiar. A favorite song played in the background of a film. His ears threw it, and her, to the forefront of his mind, as if he needed help doing so. Twelve years of working together, years that convinced him that they were soulmates. And one day, she casually mentions she's leaving, as if it's talking about the weather. It wasn't enough. All he'd shown her in their twelve years. It wasn't enough to change her mind. Here you go. The bartender placed a glass of scotch next to him before taking an empty glass away. Another glass still remained in Raymond's hand. He tipped it, staring at the three black lines that ran from the knuckles of his right hand, down past his black suit sleeve. It was worth it, he reminded himself. Bearing the mark was a thousand times over worth his newfound prize. Besides, he'd be rid of them soon enough. He finished what little scotch was in the current glass, taking the new one before hearing her voice yet again. This time it was closer. Raymond, she called, her tone warm and genuine. He turned to her. Her white tube dress clung below her dark curly hair. Beneath the blue lights, the white specks that danced across her from the reflection of the mirror ball above, she looked surreal, an angel found on the ocean floor. She staggered, not from alcohol, nor the heels on her feet. It was undoubtedly from the black lines running down his right cheek. Oh, she stammered before recovering, though now overcompensating for it. Uh, You made it. 
His smile after seeing her reaction lessened significantly. It sat below his eyes and poised as if it could pounce at any moment. Wouldn't miss it. Sorry, it's just the... She waved at her own cheek. Is that a tattoo or is that from the crash? Raymond let one shoulder shrug. Half his smile faded while his left hand instinctively felt his left breast pocket. A bit of both. She stepped forward, resuming her initial attempt to hug him. Well, you look great. He hugged her with his right arm, careful not to press his left side against her. Still, he savored her touch. His hand wrapped around her, clutching the opposite side of her waist. I don't want you to go. You're sweet. She broke the hug, as if a thought had occurred to her. You want to meet him? No, he blinked. Despite his knee-jerk thought, Raymond nodded and held up a finger. Gotta hit the bathroom first. I'll find you on the way back. Deal. She squeezed his arm, smiled, and turned away. Before the crash, Raymond would have thought the men's room to be quiet. Now that he knew real silence, he preferred this immensely. White tiles bounced every slight sound his suit made as he stood in the dark blue stall. He dug into his left breast pocket and pulled out a small glass ball, which fit neatly into his palm. He placed it against his right cheek and ran it along the black lines. The glass ball was placed on the tile floor, and despite its shape, it did not roll away. It remained still for a moment before it began to rock. The rocking turned to violent wobbling before a large protrusion reached from the orb. The form took the shape of a hand that writhed and stretched toward the ceiling. The glass grew wide and tall, nearly to Raymond's eye level, before it contracted, snapping into a woman's figure. She glistened for a moment before the shine dulled. The opacity quickly faded into paper-white skin. She stood before him, naked and emaciated. Fire-red hair covered her face from her bony fingers. Fire-red hair covered her face before her bony fingers parted them. Raymond stumbled backwards at the sight of her flesh-covered sockets below her brow. She smirked at his reaction. As if to ease his fears, she clawed her fingers into the sockets, removing excess flesh and revealing the greenest eyes Raymond had ever seen. She used them to stare at him, to take him in, before lifting a hand to his right cheek. Her mouth opened, and a sound escaped her. Sand fell from her mouth, escaped her lungs, and poured onto the floor before her voice followed. The master's mark. Her smile widened. All who bear it are granted three wishes. Be they glorious or terrible. So is this like a weird version of Aladdin? Yeah. (laughs) Sweet. It's a fucked up high strangeness genie. I'm into it. This is awesome. All right. She glanced down at his attire before her own hand reached her forehead. A spark fell from her fingers, and she was adorned in a green dress, which matched her eyes perfectly. Her red hair folded on its own, curling itself into a neat quaff. As she smiled at him, he felt her fingers on his brain, rifling through it like a Rolodex. And when she finally arrived at what she was looking for, she found it in a place that wasn't dark or murderous, or lustful or jealous. She found it in a place of love and loneliness. He felt naked as she smiled at him. She now knew him better than anyone, A shiver ran through him, though the newfound coldness did not leave with it. What? You're not boring, she said decidedly. I like you. Just don't, he stammered, unable to find words that met the demands of all the questions in his mind. Don't hurt her. The red-headed woman touched Raymond's unmarked cheek with a hand that was colder than a window on a winter morning. Name me and then name her. Trembling, he nodded. At the table, Alice erupted with laughter, and in her recovery, she felt Christian's hand slide to the small of her back. It was a nice technique, one that he pulled off on their first date. 
and it worked out pretty well for him then, too. She shot him a knowing glance, letting him pull her closer. She touched her cheek to his, feeling his blonde stubble graze her. But for real, she insisted, her brows raised with anticipation, you're coming to visit. I will, one of her friends promised, throwing her hand up in a vow. I'm hopping on a plane the second the Jackson account closes. Good. Alice threw her hip and pouted, because I'm going to miss you. Same, her friend declared. The smile she wore quickly faded as something caught her eye, to Alice's right. Something that chilled her. Alice broke from Christian's arm to turn. She saw Raymond within a few feet of her, and on his arm there hung a woman with the skin of a porcelain doll. Alice feigned excitement. Hey! Raymond's expression softened to see her as he gestured. Jen, this is Alice. Alice, this is Jen. Oh my god, Alice exclaimed. I had no idea you were seeing someone. Hi! She quickly clasped the pale woman's hand in both of hers. Frigid. The coldness sprinted from her hands, into her bones and up to her eyes and through it she saw memories of a life that hadn't happened yet. She sat beside Christian on the plane, excitedly squeezing his hand as she wiggled in the small seat, and as she rested her head on his shoulder, she felt the the runway and their old lives leave them behind. He carried her across the threshold of their rustic new home. He struggled with the awkwardness of the wedding dress, knocking over a side table in the process. He dropped her into the crystal-clear waves. She kicked and squealed briefly, before having to hold her breath. She stood up on her own, moving her hair out of her eyes to see him. She brushed her hair from her face as she asked the doctor to repeat herself. She did, confirming Alice was infertile. She looked to Christian, who was staring straight ahead. She reached out and squeezed his hand. He did not squeeze back. In the dark, she opened the closet and pulled the spare sheets and comforter from it, red-eyed but not tired. She dragged them down the steps and laid them on the downstairs couch. It wouldn't matter. The effort and her thoughts kept her awake for the rest of the night. She walked past the kitchen table, his dinner sitting alone upon it. It had grown cold two hours ago. She left it for him to discover, but she discovered him first at the doorway. His suit and hair were disheveled. Her life was in boxes, packed on a truck that didn't currently have a destination. She'd spent the last five years leaving everyone behind, and now him as well. She turned to him, leaning in the doorway of their rustic home, and even then, despite everything, she missed his hand on the small of her back. The music returned to her first, then the noise of the party, then the shapes and shadows of those around her. Alice stood, mouth agape, finally letting go of Jen's cold hand after what felt like a lifetime. She pulled her hands back, absentmindedly staring at the floor, and she tried to process what had just happened. Fingers grazed her back, freeing her from the haze with a sudden jolt. She nearly leapt away. She turned to Christian as he retracted his hand. Her eyes and lips readied a tirade that didn't even know where to start. A silence would have followed, if the 80s dance music hadn't expressly forbidden it. So, one one good thing I think about yeah. this is at least she got to see, like, you know, she doesn't have to waste her time in the relationship right? anymore. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's a positive thing about seeing, like, their whole, that whole part of her yeah. life, of, you know, kind of flash before her eyes, you know. Um, yeah, at least now she can kind yeah, of save I some mean, time. I mean, I have some chunks of my life that I wish I would have touch this genie before had <laughs> yeah. Some, yeah exactly same like you yeah know, had, exactly had been like oh thanks for the fucking right, heads well, up thanks. you know now i know yeah yeah okay <laughs> right a silence would have followed if the 80s dance music hadn't expressly forbidden it you okay yes she thought in fact she was better than ever she smiled gave a quick unconvincing yep just need some air grabbed her purse from the table, and bolted before Christian could grab her. I think she's on the same page as we are. Yeah. She knows that. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, thanks for the fucking heads up, man. (laughs) She felt the cool night air hit her, as if her eyes needed any more help watering, 
and walked briskly to her car. She sat in her driver's seat and let the tears come and go, holding on to the wheel as if the car could start at any moment. The sobs were few and soft, and they were met with anger and helplessness. A knock on the window. She looked, expecting to see a blue suit. Instead, she saw a black one. Raymond's tattooed hand, which now carried two black stripes instead of three, remained on the glass as he waited. Oh, so that's his wishes. Yeah. I like it. All right, sweet. After moving her purse to her lap, she unlocked the door and wiped her eyes as she heard him slide into the passenger seat. What followed was the quietest moment she'd ever known. She could think of nothing to say. How could she explain what she'd just seen, to him or anyone? Who would believe her? Did she even believe herself? Finally, she started to laugh. Raymond hesitantly joined her in it. I think I'm fucking crazy, she admitted. I thought his name was Christian. She laughed and sniffled before scouring her purse for tissues. Solid one, Raymond. I was going to say, that's pretty clever. (laughs) Right? She blew her nose less daintily than she would have liked. Sorry, she huffed. Ah, don't be. He waited to speak in between blows. Listen, I'm lousy at goodbyes, but uh, he looked down and then out the windshield. I wish you saw me the way I see you. Alice didn't need to trace his eyeline. She could feel Jen staring at them. She looked up to see the pale-skinned woman standing on the curb, holding her wrist and watching the car. Her green dress and red hair stood, stagnant in the distance, against the brown exterior of the bar. Alice licked the back of her teeth and turned the key in the ignition. Raymond pushed the seatbelt into its clip, with one black stripe remaining on his hand. Wait, what? 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 What just happened? What's the last thing he said to her? They're going together. He said, I wish you saw me the way I see you. Ah. That was his second wish. So, hmm. But he wasn't telling... Okay, alright. I see you. Yeah. Now they're into it. So now they're leaving together. So so what about his third wish? Don't know. Is she just gonna, like... That's stumble upon upon the door and be like hey you still got one more maybe buddy. he'll use that to fucking get them uh i don't know a billion dollars or or a rustic house <laughs> or a rustic house either one. that way she can relive the horror of her previous impending doom of a re- relationship <laughs> all right i like it that's cool i also wondered where did she get the clothes because wasn't yeah. she naked She's a fucking genie. She makes her own clothes. So she just fashioned. <laughs> Did she like rip off some fresh? Wow. Did she rip off some flesh to right? reveal like I, a I mean, I imagine... nice green dress? Just like she like yeah, tore bits I, out of her I eyes like to scene. reveal her eyes. Um, Which is a little weird. That's yeah. one thing we haven't really talked about on our show, though, is like Jen. And genies. Yeah. Yeah true mm-hmm. i mean i feel like that's most likely coming yeah it has to i feel like we'll we'll get there yeah there's i mean there's a lot of things that we haven't talked about that like we might have talked about in passing or like yeah. talked it got brought up like in a story or something and then we're always like oh yeah that's that's something and then just never really go back to it but i feel eventually yeah we'll start to go more kind Dude, there of there are tons and tons of you know, great like, uh, accounts like that, from yeah. um soldiers from the like American soldiers in the Middle East that have seen like crazy shit, and a lot of the legends around there center around Jen. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I bet we'll get there. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. Yeah, and they're they're also really neat as well. So nice. Yeah, I'd, I'd be into it for sure. Also, you know, it's uh, I know that we've we've talked like previously about doing stuff like. I mean, like, you know, as we talk about Faye and yeah. stuff like that, which I want to deep dive into more, we talked about, like, the idea of, like, you know, doing things on, like, mermaids and stuff like that, too, yeah. and, you know, like, just very weird kind of Yeah, pull some, like, some mythologies really in there. Yeah. 
Yeah. I could see us doing that, especially yeah, like exactly. in the new year. Exactly. I could yeah. see us like expanding a little bit to include some of that stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, we've already like this past year, we've done more with uh kind of strange and mysteries yeah. and weird and more mystery stuff. And, oh yeah. yeah. So like, and we're just going to keep expanded growing. for sure. You know, and there's just so, yeah. so much Absolutely. more, so much more that we can I mean, do. I think, I think eventually i see the show just becoming a place where you tell where we tell weird stories about weird shit like there's no like where eventually all the boundaries will be dissolved you know what i mean yeah yeah oh yeah for sure yeah and didn't we already do one of those like poop monsters (laughs) yeah (laughs) we have talked about a poop monster (laughs) Uh, see we're already yeah. expanding, expanding so much. Exactly. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No way. I mean, young us <laughs> wouldn't have talked about poop at all, so, you know. Right. There, there's context behind that, but I, I won't even get into it no, right now. No. Um, but yeah, there you have it. Of three. Another successful Friday Night Fright. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I think that's it. Excellent. Good stories. Good night.